Welcome to the Sendcast. My name is Dale Pickles and I'm the host of the Sendcast. The Sendcast is here as a way to help improve knowledge around SEND. There is lots of stuff to read, but we're all very, very busy and don't have the time. And the Sendcast is a great way to get the same consistent message to schools, external professionals and parents. My guest this week is Joanna Grace. Joe is a sensory engagement and inclusion specialist, as well as a doctoral researcher and many, many other things. In this episode, we're discussing the controversial Channel 4 documentary featuring Rosie Jones. The Sendcast is created and produced by us here at B Squared. I normally mention our assessment software, which everyone hopefully knows about now. But this time I'm going to talk about Eversense, our evidence for learning and our parent communication system. Eversense feels like social media, so it is extremely easy to understand and use, and it's designed to be extremely secure, a safe place to share evidence of learning with parents or external professionals. But it's also a great way to capture pupil voice or use as your homeschool diary or reading diary. Visit the B-Squared website to find out more about Eversense or click on the meeting link in the show notes to book a meeting with me to take you through Eversense. Now, as always... Let's get on with the podcast. On this week's show, we're discussing Rosie Jones's controversial documentary released in the summer of 2023 on Channel 4. And discussing this topic with me is Joanna Grace. Joe is a Century Engagement Inclusion Specialist, doctoral researcher, author, trainer, TEDx speaker, founder of the Century Project, mum of two, and failed chef. Obviously not professional. <laughs> Joe jo has worked with a range of people from birth to old age with learning disabilities and neurodivergent conditions. Welcome back to the show, Joe. Thanks for having me back, Dale. Sadly, you can bring any of your cooking over to the studio today. I'm all right at melting chocolate. Okay. Chocolate is good because I've literally, I've just had a Freddo, so I'm good. I had completely missed this documentary. When you sent this over, I'm going, what documentary? What are you on about? And I went and watched it. And then I went onto social media and the internet and read all the drama or some of the drama around it all. How did I miss this? <laughs> I don't know how you missed this, Dale. In, in my world, which my online world, which is a world populated by people who have links to learning disabilities autism disability it was it was a huge deal and the reason that I'm popping up talking about it because you could obviously you should be interviewing Rosie not me I'm sure she's keen to come on the podcast but the reason it's me is because just before the documentary aired I was at Parallel Windsor and to do a tiny segue into Parallel for people who don't know about Parallel. Parallel is the most amazing event of my year. It's absolutely fantastic. It's a mass participation sporting event. So, you know, like you have the Olympics, you have the Special Olympics, you have the Paralympics. There are people for whom even the Special Olympics and the Paralympics would never hold a place them, no matter how much they train or things like this. And Parallel kind of aims to be the event that everybody can join in with and I remember when they were first setting up they were running out of the Olympic Park so it was really had an Olympic wow. feel to it and I met them at a conference where we were both platformed as speakers people they and I'd gone round their stand because they had a stand at the event going we're going to do this mass participation thing 
And I meet a lot of people who are claiming to be super inclusive. And it's lovely that people are going in that direction. But when people are like really cocky about it, this is bad. This is bad of me. I like to ask them questions that sort of cause them to hesitate slightly. Like, are you sure you're being? Just because certainty is a terrifying thing in anybody. And so I went up to their stand and I went, oh, great. Yeah, super inclusive. Excellent. Wonderful. But, you know, have you got changing places toilets? Because there's a population of people for whom disabled toilets are not accessible. These are people who would need hoist access to toilets and things like this. And for them, they need changing places. And if you're claiming to be a really inclusive event, and there are lots of events that claim that they are really inclusive, if you're not providing toilets to some people, it's not really like if I invited you to the cinema and went, yeah, it's going to be great. It's going to be this really great thing. You're going to love it. It's brilliant. Oh, we haven't got any toilets, but don't worry. Like you can wear a nappy. You would definitely think twice about coming. So I did this challenge to the people on the stand. And their answer was single-handedly the best answer I've ever had to that challenge because they said, yes, the Olympic Park has changing places toilets and we are buying in more. So like, I was gobsmacked, like they ticked the box and some as well. And I got to, as of, as, as of meeting them at that event, I got to work with them on their inclusion of people with profound and multiple learning disabilities. And we came up with the super sensory which is this sensory race for sensory athletes. So the idea is that if the limit of your physical ability is to look at something or to attend to your sense of smell and you do that, then you are pushing yourself to your physical limits every much as every bit as much as the people that you see in the Olympics, like racing across the finish lines and collapsing on the floor and standing on the start line. No standing on the finish line of the super sensory is the most spectacular thing because the athletes that compete as sensory athletes we don't like clap them around going oh isn't it nice that they're joining in you like no like look at them go and there's that kind of stadium mentality to the support and recognition of what the sensory athletes are achieving and at a typical race the people who come across the line first are the most exciting and at parallel the people who come across the line last are just staggering. There was a little girl this year in a like a funky walking thing, and she did the one hundred meters, and and she was not first by, but oh, she was amazing to watch. And yeah, so parallel is this fantastic, absolutely fantastic event. And Rosie Jones attended parallel this year, and I'm somebody who watches the stand ups. I remember when the last leg launched during the Paralympics and we had this really frank program going, how do the swimmers with no legs get out of the swimming pool? And you're like, it's really nice to bring these kind of questions that people are uncomfortable to ask just out into the open and go, well, let's just ask and let's find out. And then we can all be, we don't need to be taboo about disability. We can just learn. And, I, you know, it's, it's maybe not, the best tv program but i love it for that representation and stuff like that I, I love it too it was it was i remember watching it and i'm literally going yeah, yeah and i'm going oh, okay did not know the answers that way i know things <laughs> yeah. like if i'm having my photo taken with a dwarf swimmer should i kneel down it's like, like yeah things like well, that things if that you, you if you want your face in the photo with her then yes obviously you're like of course you would another one is can i pass a pint over a person in a wheelchair or do they own that vertical space Oh, yeah, good question. I just went, 
Ooh, I had not thought of Ooh, that. Is that their personal space up above them? Yes. Yeah. So the last leg are great at things like that. And then in recent, what is it, the last 10 years or so, we are seeing more representation of disability in, in the stand-up circuit. And Rosie is one of those. She used to work as a runner for Cats Does Countdown, didn't she? And she used to write for Jimmy Carr before she came front screen ah. and when she did when she first came on the panel shows i remember being so excited to see somebody who speaks like she does platformed and and so pleased with the other comics that they would wait for her to finish her sentences that they were you know understanding what she was saying even though she's not instantly as understandable as maybe the next person is so yeah it was great she was there at parallel and i was like oh my goodness that like there's a proper famous person. And I thought, if I don't go up to her now, I'm never going to have the nerve. So I just lunged up to her and I went, hello, like, I'm Jo, I create the Super Sensory and I won't bother you. And then I went away. It's like, hello, I've just come over here to not bother you. And my husband snapped a photo of us talking and she's laughing and, and I'm smiling. And I literally, I spoke to her for like 30 seconds. And I put it on my social media, going, oh, my goodness, like, look who I met. And the backlash I received was enormous from people in my social media community, which, as I said at the start, is a group of people who all have something to do with learning disability, with autism, with, you know, these are the people who are my friends. And I, I view my social media. I get teased by people sometimes who go, like, you know, Facebook people aren't real friends. And like. They really are to me. My connections through my inter- through my internet connections are as genuine, if not more genuine, to me than my real life connections. Because as an autistic person, I find online communication easier, and that's something that I share in common with a lot of autistic people. Yep. And I've met, like, I also I dispute the idea that they're not real because f- they are real people. Because <laughs> like, I've met them. <laughs> they're not. Maybe occasionally they are catfishes or not real people. But in the main, I believe that the people that I'm connected with online are real people. And I I treat them as such and I value them. And like before the internet, when I went to a friend's house, one of the things I used to ask their parents was, can I see your photo albums? I loved looking through people's photo albums. And now Facebook, it's just people's photo albums, isn't it? So, I I find it such a joyous place and I know a lot of people you know struggle with it and it's not great for everybody's mental health but it is my it's my world and it's where my friends are and I put this picture up and I got a backlash from people who are my in my head my friends going I can't believe you did that I can't believe that you would be willing to have your picture taken with that woman I can't believe you spoke to her I had people I was I was doing a training event and I had people drop out of that training event they couldn't come wouldn't come they returned their tickets to me because because i had my picture taken with her wow wow so it was a big deal in my world and in lots of people's worlds i'm i'm on the edge of the special needs world yeah I deal with consultants, specialists, people like you, Joe, who are there. I don't, I'm not hugely involved in them. I'm not in the middle of it all. You probably just have a healthier relationship with social media than I do. That, yeah, because <laughs> I don't really use it. 
very sensitive. I don't really use it. I, I'm not a huge fan of it. I'm on, I, lo- I love online communities. Twitter, I just finished shouting into the void. That's a whole other thing. <laughs> I like a community where we can have a great conversation like we would have in real life. Yeah. I like those sorts of things. And yeah, generally people I communicate with are real people too. Yeah, it's it's been a really interesting. And so I kind of went, what's this thing? And I, and I watched the documentary. And if you have no idea what we're talking about with this documentary, it is basically Rosie Jones. It's called Am I a, a Word, which is the word that's caused the controversy, which I'm not going to repeat because I'm not quite sure how I feel about saying it or using it and things like that. For, I'll get to that in a minute. But it's using that word, but basically the the trolling and the hatred she has received over the years being on being in the limelight and where you said when she goes on panel shows and she's she's got her jokes and she is seriously funny we're not saying she's funny as a special person she is seriously funny she is and i've watched a number of shows with her and she is brilliant but you kind of know she knows that every time she is on tv there is hateful stuff being fired at her on social media and she uses a company which filters out nearly all of the hate. So she never sees it. And she got to see some of that hate. Why is it said? And she did. And it's basically that's what the documentary about is exploring that hatred and the use of this word and things like that. But I think the big controversy became because she put that word in the title. Yes, that was what people were objecting to. So her her point, and I, I am going to say the word, was, and I'll say another dangerous word at the same time just to go all in not that confident that with regards to racism we have a very clear understanding or certainly an improving understanding that some words are not to be used yet if people were using the word nigger in just like a pub or something like that in the general day-to-day world people would call them up on it and say that's you know out of order you shouldn't say that but if you're using the word retard, which is what the title of the documentary was, Am I a Retard? That is actually quite commonplace. And this is one of those things that I have to relearn every so often because my social world is that online world where people are not going around calling each other retards and morons and all of these words that are historic words that denote people with an intellectual disability. It doesn't feel like it's a thing anymore to us because it's not a thing in our world anymore. It doesn't happen anymore. But if you, I I actually, the same week I was on the train and I heard somebody on the table opposite me just call across at her boyfriend, oh, you're such a retard. And it was totally ordinary. It was a commonplace. Nobody around her was shocked. Nobody flinched in the way that if she'd said a different form of prejudicial comment, if it was a racist comment, if it was a sexist comment, she might have been called up on it. When it's an ableist comment, it's allowed because it's not considered as serious. And Rosie's point in putting it in the title was that she's able to do that because it's not considered as serious. She wouldn't have been able to do it if it was one of the other ones. So there was kind of an extra point that she was making in putting it in the title. And But that's the thing is, is all the hatred is people hated the word. They hate the word. They, it shouldn't be used. And... And what I kind of took from it is kind of, and that's the thing, people talk about taking control of the word and that phrase that goes around a lot, is 
and that's the thing is there's almost we want to raise the profile to say it is still around it is still being used and it shouldn't and if it is used we should all be shocked and saying it shouldn't be used yeah not a small minority who have had that word used against them or towards them or said about them which is and that's the thing is you watch the documentary you see the impact it has on rosie seeing yeah. the hate and, the, and and that's the thing people say talk about the hatred and the way it's made them feel and things like that is i think there's a certain thing is is saying you that word can bring up horrible memories mm. and i kind of feel that people are kind of going no if you say that word i've got to rethink about all of those things that have happened to me i'd rather not yeah she's somebody who's clearly experienced a lot of hurt and harm through the use of that word and it's a kind of uncomfortable, practical reality, isn't it? That in order to address this, like I just did, you have to say the word in order to say we shouldn't be saying this word. Because if you go around just not mentioning it and not talking it, it's part of the standing up to the wrong that's being done against you, isn't it? Is to call it out. And when you call it out, you have to say what you're calling out. And what she did very successfully in that documentary was show that when people say unkind things, it upsets people. Like you saw that through her reaction. You saw how even though she's somebody who's used to this, it's still a very current and hurtful thing for her to experience. And you can see that how through her, like like you saw photos of her as a little girl, that this is a hurt that has been done to her ongoing through life and is done to lots of other people. And she interviewed one of the people who has used that term against her online. And he said very clearly, he said, well, it was online, so I didn't think it counted. And so that was the other point that the documentary made very clearly. And it's a lesson that we're sort of slowly learning in the social media world that saying nasty things online is the same as saying them offline. And it's actually, it's that thing I was saying at the start. Where people I was just say, thinking that. Oh, the online world isn't real. Actually, it is. And you do hurt people when you say, People will say things, you were talking about the Twitter and shouting into the vacuum. People will say massively offensive things on Twitter that they would never say in the real world because they have that separation that one world isn't real. I don't really have that separation because I experience communication differently. So it, it, it's one of those things that she very successfully pointed out. And the guy sat there and, oh, yeah, I didn't realise that. <laughs> like, you know, you didn't think, did you? Like, I didn't realise there was a person on the other end of it. And then, and then the other thing that she showed is that that word is insulting, and it's a word that's causing harm. But I've, I think there was a lot that didn't come out, and so I, I saw part of the marketing for it was her saying, I don't know if it was her saying, or if it was people who had constructed the marketing around her. You know, you know how these things go, where where it was showing that she's a very capable person who's achieved this level of education and is doing this and basically going, I have this intellectual capacity, so no, I'm not a retard. But actually, that isn't countering the prejudice because you're still positioning the retard as the bad thing to be. It's a defence that says, I'm cleverer, actually is one that reinforces that prejudice. and. That prejudice is a prejudice that is suffered by people who 
get called that word. It's a prejudice that's suffered by people who have intellectual disabilities, but it's also a prejudice that is suffered by all people because we, none of us thrive in a system that values intellect over everything. Like if to be clever is to be better, then we're all going to feel inadequate in some way. If, if being clever is the great thing, and not having intellectual capacity is the duff thing. That that's not you know that measure isn't serving anybody in a good way, and it's that kind of nudging force. What would have been really wonderful to see within that is to see an example of somebody with an intellectual impairment who has a very significant cognitive deficit who doesn't have intellectual capacity and to have that life showed as valid and fulfilling and like a totally acceptable way to be because we don't it's it's not really something that we accept because we do run under this prejudice that intellect is always better when we meet lives like that we create their value out of a narrative of marginal improvements we like well, he's very capable because he can indicate no, or he's very, you know, he's, we're sort of trying to justify that experience by going, well, he does have capacity. He has got this little bit. And actually, whilst that's like, that capacity is definitely should be valued and, and built upon and all of that, there should be a valuing of just the life as lived without anything more being required in order to authenticate it i was just thinking about how could you do that and problem is what you end up doing is you're literally you end up putting trying to put that person in typical situations that you would think of like oh he goes to the football he goes down the pub down the pub with his dad you're going no that's me putting my idea of what a normal life looks like on top of that situation, that person actually, I would actually go, what does a fulfilling life look like for them? But that could be quite different to what my expectations are and my understanding. So there's a lot of education we need to get through, I think, for the general public to understand that all our lives are different yeah. and we don't all go to the football. We don't all do this. We don't have a nine to five job. We don't all, what, what is it that makes a life fulfilling? Yeah, and it's it's to do with how we kind of sort these things out in our heads. Like at the start, we're sort of asking, was Rosie right to do this or was Rosie wrong to do this? Like you got to pick a side of that line. Or, And I wonder if it's a greyer thing, if, if it's right for some people and wrong for other people, if it's pushing in a direction but maybe not quite how we would do it. And it was interesting as... Within it, she was talking about. Uh, I think Rosie's language is a lot more colourful than mine. When I wrote "Sensory Beings, Sensory Beings," I was looking at the research around language processing in the brain, and I found this stuff about swearing. And it's really fascinating. Swear words are stored in a different part of your brain from the rest of your language, and so it's possible to have like a significant brain injury and lose the capacity for speech, but retain the capacity to swear. So it's important to have a wide lexicon of swear words just in case that should ever happen to you. 
And then swearing is a motor response rather than a linguistic response. So swearing is like a physical reaction rather than a thinking reaction, which is why when you stub your toe, you, you swear because you also pull your foot back. It's a, it's a physical response to swear. It's why people who have Tourette's often tick swear words because they have physical motoric ticks and swearing is one of them. And it also has lots of mental health benefits. So a low level amount of day-to-day casual swearing is protective of stress and anxiety. And then if you save some really good swear words for special occasions, they have quite a good analgesic quality. So they're very pain relieving. The, the, the amount was extraordinary. It was something like a 40% increase in your ability to tolerate pain. Just, but just like painkillers, if you overuse them, they wear out. So you need to keep some like special swear words for the emergency situations. You need some common day-to-day swear words to protect your mental health that you just use in a sort of lighthearted way. And I'm somebody who has been trained as a primary school teacher and I don't swear. Because if you swear generally, you'll end up swearing in front of a class of six-year-olds, won't you? And it's, it's no good. Like the rudest I get is to go, oh, bum. And I'd said that once during a swimming lesson and a little girl stood up in the water and she looked deathly shocked. She said, it's not bum, it's bottom. Bum's rude. So even in, in my world, I'm quite extreme. But I read all this research and I thought, oh, I really should learn to swear more. I and mean, it was my New Year's resolution in 2017 was to try and swear more. And I was rubbish at it. I still can't swear without a, like a full introduction to it. But Rosie, throughout the documentary, was referring to the people online who were abusing her as she was being dismissive of them there's there's like this category of people who are and and they're not to be listened to and they're not to be either they are clearly wrong in what they are saying and doing so we just disregard them and then when she met the guy who had been you know abusing her online and he went, oh, I didn't, I didn't realise that it actually, ha- I didn't think it was real. She also met a whole human. you like, there's a reason why somebody is shouting into the ether, isn't it? There's a reason why somebody is going around and picking on other people. There's a reason why somebody needs to make themselves feel big by calling other people names. And if you just dismiss them as, it's the same as just dismissing you as a retard, it's the same, it's not the same prejudice, but it's the same shape of a thought. And the shape of the thought is that some people don't count. And the weird thing is, I ended up, as I was watching it, thinking, actually, if we wanted to really counter this in a way that wasn't just making rules about what you are and aren't allowed to say, because when you make these rules, you know, there's some people who go, well, but I, I just use that word. I don't mean anything bad by it. Why am I suddenly not allowed to say the things that I've always said? I'm not a nasty person. Because that's what they're thinking. They're thinking that yeah. you have decided that they are a dismissible object and they know themselves to be a good person. They know that they didn't mean anything bad by it. So when the change is just brought about by a ruling that goes, well, we don't use this word anymore, you get all that resentment built up. And actually, if you really wanted to counter that, what you would have to do is listen to those people more. <laughs> like you, 
not less, not silence them, listen until they feel understood. Because when they feel understood, then they might be willing to go around and try and understand somebody else. And it's like, it's like you put into the situation what you want to get out. And so it was weird. It was like all these levels in the show as I watched, thinking what was missing from the conversation and how in some situations, although she was, although the documentary, I'm saying the documentary rather than Rosie, because I presume she's part of the big system and you, you get edited and I'm very aware I've appeared in things and you didn't necessarily come across the way you planned to come across and all of that. It was definitely creating an argument that said, like, people don't like it when you're mean to them. Saying nasty things online is the same as saying nasty things in real life. And that word hurts people. But the the shape of the thoughts was sometimes the same, if that makes sense. I don't know if I yes. do when I say the shape of the thoughts. I, I'm just hoping that you are going to give me a worksheet with different <laughs> layers of swear words on. I'm still on oh. that going... Oh, yeah. What are, the, what are those swear words you're oh. saving, Joe? I'm going to find out after we record this. I want to know what those swear Don't say them on the podcast. We'll run out of bleepers. Um, I, I would like, I'd like a worksheet with different levels of swear words. I mean, how that work? 16th anyway. century swear words are really good to look at because you can often use them in a, in a place um, that you wouldn't be able, that you'd get bleeped for other things. There's a. I think it's called Spirited, which is a Christmas movie on Apple TV with Will Farrell and Ryan Reynolds. And it is following on from Christmas Carol. And they go back into Charles Dickens and sing a song called Good Afternoon, which is apparently a, a nice way of saying F off in the 16th century. They do the whole song singing Good Afternoon, which is very entertaining. I'm really tempted now to shout 16th century swear words. <laughs> <laughs> but I kind of get what you mean, because that's the thing is, is... You can't dismiss someone who's saying something unless you can then just just what they're saying is doesn't existing either. If you're offended by it, then they do exist. It's, it's, there's a whole thing around that. But I think what most people will say is if you're unhappy in life and your life is going well, you're generally not going to be lashing out at anyone. Yeah. So if we start with that thought, then go, so why are they lashing out? Yeah. And it's not, they're probably generally not in a good place. They're not in the place they, they, they thought their life would go or whatever reason. Then you've got to work out why, who are they lashing out against? And is it any It's a much more complicated thing than just writing them up. But they, they do exist. Mm. And generally, everyone is a product of society. And the way you, we respond to the world around us. Yeah. We kind of, we grow up as children. Then we slowly get pushed out into the world over secondary school and beyond. And then we are often shaped by the world we interact with. And before the birth of the internet, we were all lovely people. And then the internet came along and we all became horrible. Not quite. We just got more accessible to horrible people. It's like if you go, the world's a much more dangerous place now. It's like, no, no, it's probably just as dangerous, just as many car crashes and many things going on in your local area as there were in the 80s. But you can now just ask on social media and you just see every crash on social media in your local Facebook group yeah. or every burglary or anything, not actually you had no idea, even though it was two roads away in the 1980s. So there's a thing about, yeah, we've got to think about that person there. But yeah, the things people say, you've got to almost, you can't just dismiss them. You've got to not acknowledge and accept. You've got to ask why, why are they doing this? and. In, there's a thing like oh well, lots of 
uh, people who are abused become abusers and it's a vicious circle and you have all of these things and I could say various little things like that. It was one of the challenges against Rosie was that she has previously used the word herself in her online media and things and you think yeah I can imagine that you would because if you are somebody who's consistently experienced that word maybe if you could make light of it it would make it less bad for you you know maybe if you could take maybe you would try out as you're starting out as a comedian to see if you could fit it in there it's, it, I can imagine it would be a stage that you would go through and you'd probably end up going actually no this doesn't work for me and I'm just joining in with the abuse but there's lots of people uh, so there's so like a, a pretty, I imagine it's something that's experienced in every playground where somebody is being teased and then they go you know the person who's being teased tries to join in and go yeah yeah my ears are really big or yeah I do really smell because when you say that you put yourself on the side of the people who seem strong and you hope that you're with them a bit and you'll be okay and you'll be protected by that and it it doesn't quite work out my mum my mum used to say if something like that happens and you can laugh at yourself then they've got nowhere to go but yeah. and in some ways, yes. But I think the other thing is, you then believe it. You, yeah, I you're have sort of got this. Authenticating it, aren't you? It's a muddled thing. You end, end up reinforcing that you are not good enough. You are this, and that's why they're laughing at you because you are. But so there's a whole thing which is going through my head the last couple of weeks. Going, actually, that's not a great strategy. <laughs> it's basically saying in the moment, than... strategy, and you can see why your mum would have given you the advice. But it's not. It's not an advocate self-advocacy strategy is it it's like just nod and go along with it a a lot of women have had that advice given to them for sexual abuse in the workplace you're like just you know just go along with the joke it's it's yeah yeah why are you creating an issue out of it it's just a bit of fun it's like (laughs) i think when i think back to the reaction online what i noticed and because my online world is quite a broad spectrum of the sort of special needs world was the people who reacted most strongly were a very particular demographic there was lots of I I saw some quite positive social reaction on social reaction reaction on social media just like when I was looking I was on a long train journey and you looked through all the tweets and you could just sort of see your everyday person going oh, I'd never thought about this before. Yeah, no, it's not on that we say that type of thing. And that, like, it's what we were saying at the start. You have to call it out. You have to name the thing. You have to go, this is the issue. And then people go, oh, oh, yeah, okay. And and most people, if you tell them, like, if you say this, I find it upsetting, will adjust themselves. And it, it doesn't take a big adjust. They just go, oh, sorry, I didn't mean to upset you. I'll say a different word. I'll, I'll, or do something different because they're not nasty people. They're not going around being malicious. But there was a demographic of people who, even taking on board that it's necessary to 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 point these things out, still were not okay with it. They couldn't, they, especially with it being in the title, because that it was in the title meant that it was said in places. You, you experienced it in lots of places rather than just if you watch the documentary. And I said at the start, 
why that decision was taken to put it in the title. It's part of the advocacy that she was doing. And I look at it and you think it's like you're, you're treating an injury, aren't you? You're talking about a painful thing. Yeah. And you and you recognize that talking about it is going to hurt. And the people who've been injured by it, it's going to hurt them when you talk yes. about it. And the population of people who were reacting so strongly reminded me of Burns patients when people have been so badly burned that you just can't touch them. And but you have to change their dressings. You have yes. to touch them. It, you, you're going to do a thing. It's for a beneficial reason, but it's really going to hurt. And I think the respectful thing to do in that situation is to recognize that you are going to cause pain. And, and so the other thing that it would have been nice to have, and like, obviously, I'm talking as somebody who thinks about these things, who studies in this field, and I am not the target audience for a, a Channel 4 documentary. So I recognize that Channel 4 need to do the, you know, don't say nasty things to people. This is a nasty thing to say. It's real when you do it online. That's your sort of standard output. But if you were making the documentary for me, what I would have loved is a recognition of that group. And that group were, are the people for whom <laughs> it's so, it's so raw. It's like at the point at which their child was born, at the moment when they brought new life into the world, this perfect thing that you love completely, at that moment, Somebody handed them their child and told them it was worthless. And they used that word. And then a little bit down the line, they said, do you want to keep it? It's those people that couldn't bear to hear it, not even discuss, not even touch, not just no. And it's those people for whom, when I said it earlier, the flinch will be the flinch of the Burns victim having their dressings changed. And it's important to challenge these things. It's important to say it, but it's respectful to recognize as you do it, the pain that you cause in the doing of that challenging. Definitely. And it, it's, that's the thing there is, you, you kind of know, and you, you could see, I, I found the discussion months or so after the event. So it's really hard on Twitter to find any conversation of it. It's all disjointed. But I could see there's a couple of groups where things were discussed and it was discussed on some BBC. It was discussed in various places and you read the discussion and it is these people who it really touches on a nerve, yeah. really touches. it. Just saying that word is going to give them flashbacks like the bird. Yeah. It's going to just bring back a load of memories they don't want to look at. Horrible. I've moved on from that. I've cut to a better place. Just by hearing that word, I'm back there again. You're going to have that, but, and it's easy for me to say in this word that actually we do need to raise the profile of this word so it is seen I, at I the level know. it is. <laughs> they raise the profile. It's like what I mean by that is in the show, Rosie reported a post mm. where oh, that word yeah. was used against her. Yeah, and Twitter okay. came back and went, Yeah, it's not offensive. Yeah, yeah. So you need to. So that's what that's the sort of profile I'm yeah. talking about. And I'm not saying put it on a pedestal. <laughs> For the words, slightly worrying. <laughs> it, it's 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 basically 
getting it put in a list of banned words. Never use these words, yeah? Yeah. And that that's what I mean by raising that profile is, for those who never want to hear it, mm. is there's no whole load of people who have no idea you never want to hear it again. Yeah, that's there's true. There's a whole the load of people who... Didn't think that she was causing any harm to anybody, wouldn't have thought. If I had been one of those parents sat there, to hear her say that would have had an impact. What might have happened when she said that word, somebody could have heard that and it could have given them flashbacks. Yeah. It could have taken them somewhere. But I think what happens is, is that person probably then where felt going, oh, that's a me thing. That's my fault. That's my problem with that word. Mm. And I think sometimes people feel that, that it's, it's my fault. That's, that's the other thing is I think that the world should not accept that word. No one should accept that word, not just those who it is used against. It's, it's interesting it, to, to, to do like, it, this is at the start when I was saying you, people were deciding whether Rosie was right or wrong to do that. And then there's that dividing up of people into people that don't count and people who do count, people you should listen to and people you shouldn't listen to. It's such a nuanced and complicated thing. And I think actually, if you pin it to the word, you miss another thing in which, yes, that word is offensive and all of that. But if you ban that word, a different word will spring up in its place and that one will be equally offensive. So the classic example of this one is the Spastic Society. When I was younger, the Spastic Society were called the Spastic Society in the playgrounds when I was a kid. People used to call each other spazzes as a form of insult. And the Spastic Society became aware of that. And I don't know if it's directly in relation to that, but they changed their name to Scope so that you're not associated with that insult. And as a teacher, I've been in a playground where kids call each other Scopies. So you didn't do anything by changing the word. Like we can ban us calling people spazzes, but it doesn't do anything to change the prejudice because the prejudice isn't in the word. The word is an emblem for it. And so what you need to do is change the shape of the thought underneath it. And the shape of the thought underneath it, I'm going to go really retro, is Descartes. It's I think, therefore I am, which is like one of the foundations of the way that we think in the West is on a philosophy that equates the I with a thinking thing. and Whilst lots of people go, oh, yeah, I, I can see that I know that I'm here because I think, which is what Descartes was talking about, you could have any number of other cogitos. You, that's what that little phrase is called, the cogito, I think, therefore I am. You could have, I feel, therefore I am. You know? but I, I think you see lots of videos of children being oblivious to differences. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you and I love prejudice. it. And then at some point, society parents you teachers it's not you teachers teaches them to look for differences and then say differences are wrong that's the thing is generally you sit there and you think of most of your childhood being mean is someone's picked a difference about you and used it against you and it starts off with simple phrases it might be the hair color the skin color your body weight or something about you which they just see and then they find more words which hurt but it, it's it's 
we generally, we're seeing a difference in a person which they have no control over. It doesn't affect a single thing about them, but somehow that is what we see and that is what we use against them. And at some point we're doing that in primary school and it just gets worse and worse. And lots of us get to a certain point where I feel we realise, actually, their hair colour has no impact on the sort of person they are. It has absolutely zero impact. And the way they walk also, the way Phoebe Buffay runs in <laughs> Friends yeah. has no impact on anything. That's, that's you, <laughs> it is. But you realise actually that actually none of it has really any impact on anything. It's the person who I'm talking to. And that's, again, if we go back to digital, you don't see their hair colour. You don't see anything about them. You just see what they're saying, which mm-hmm. I really like. You get to see... This is what Joe says on Twitter. She loves using quotes. Hmm. I do excerpts from the research that I read. Yes. I'm pleased that she just doesn't randomly shout out quotes for no reason while talking face to face. There's a lot of bits of the hula hoops and reindeers at the moment as well. Yes, I've seen lots of rain. But that's the thing. I, I do think at some point we kind of, I would say, mature out of it. But is it a case of those who are in a better place look back and go, God, yeah, yeah, I need, yeah, I shouldn't have done that. And those who are still in not a great place are still do I don't know. But it's just to me, we go through this evolution of we're all the same, we're all great. Hang on, you've not nice to me, and I'm gonna pick something I see about you against you. And it just grows from there, getting worse and worse. But some people kind of drift out of it and some people don't. Now, someone's listening probably go, oh, there's a reason for that. I'm going, blah, 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 blah. I've got no idea. I just observe these things and I get my lovely guest to tell me the answer. Joe, go. <laughs> oh, yeah, I know all the answers. No, I don't know the answers. I, I think there's a nice thing to be drawn there in that it shows the value of representation. Like if you can experience, if, if the teachers who are out there are bringing in a diverse range of literature and pictures and things like that it's the value of having Rosie on the panel shows there is enormous value in seeing somebody like me or somebody who's seen you know that I share something in common with counting and mattering I would love to see more representation of people with intellectual disabilities especially those with profound intellectual disabilities being shown as valid worthwhile lives and hopefully that happens a little bit in my social media. But in terms of the picking on other people, I think the very start point, so I do a, a training day about exploring the impact of the senses on behaviour and part of that, it, it looks at a, a really simple thing, which everybody in education will know, is that behaviour doesn't just like happen for no reason. You don't just sort of spot. And by behaviour, whenever somebody says behaviour, they mean negative, negative. behaviour. They, they, you never say behaviour and you mean something nice. But it doesn't just spontaneously happen. Some, there's something that precedes it. And what precedes it is a feeling, somebody's feeling insecure or somebody's feeling unloved or somebody's feeling it's not a nice feeling that precedes it and so those start points of picking on each other at primary school are probably when people start to feel insecure or start to feel unsafe or start to feel vulnerable and maybe instead of making the rules maybe you just sort of like 
work to make everybody feel safer. Somebody who is secure in themselves and feels secure in their life is going to be somebody who is accepting of difference and curious about other people and interested in difference because that's what difference should inspire. It should be like, oh, like this is interesting. I haven't lived like this. I haven't experienced that. I don't, you know, look like that, move like that. I wonder what that's like. We're, we're back round to the last leg, wondering how people without legs get out of swimming pools, aren't we? It should yes. inspire curiosity of an innocent and non-judgmental kind, and that can happen when people feel safe and secure and listen to all of that stuff i was just literally in my head i was going to take us back to the last day because <laughs> 2012 in the scheme of things i think and people in the world of disabilities and everything probably will disagree but i think from a joe public point of view 2012 was the start of a big change yeah. for disability representation on tv to me, I don't think most of the people in this country cared about the Special Olympics no. until the last leg came on. Yeah, yeah, they, it, was really, it was really well done. And it was, in theory, it was just a short programme while the Special Olympics were yeah. on. Yeah. And boy, did it take off. That, that original stuff was brilliant. I think I watch the current ones now just out of honouring that initial, <laughs> that initial one. I'm waiting for it to be that again. And it is, I think, you, after a while, it's like we watch Top Gear and you're going, ah, oh, there's a script. Yes, yeah. There's a script and we've kind of run dry here. But no, it to me, it is, it's basically said, and what I loved about it is it went on and, again, the fact it was a short-run thing, you probably went, someone went, look, it's got disability, we'll do it for a bit to make you happy. You wonder if that sort of thing, we'll just do a couple of weeks and then we've, we've, we've ticked the disability quota and then we can get back to more able programming. And then what it took off. Yeah. And I think people went, oh, oh. And I think lots of people in the media and around went, okay, okay, we can. And before that, literally, when I think of disability, I'm literally going to have to go back to Balamori. Oh, I haven't seen Balamori, Dale. Balamori, someone who might have just gone, oh my God, what's the story in the Balamori? There was one of the actresses was in a wheelchair mm. and i thought that was great and you had a cbb's one of their hosts yeah. had a physical and it's just literally going it's a couple but i think 2012 it's sort of like no no we can do everything as you said going back to that telethon on a previous episode that we don't want your pity we just want jobs yeah that's what that's what they were saying then i've got a photo album on my facebook of inclusive children's literature where if i find books that have lovely representation in i put them collect them together like that because it's when i was i've got two little boys one's three and one's nine and obviously you have a shelf of books that are the books that you read as bedtime stories and just being able to have books in there that represent you know all forms of diversity or as many forms of diversity as you can is, is really valuable and that's, it's really, yeah, children's books, when you sit there and you look back at it all and you're going, sexism started in children's books. That's a <laughs> whole other thing. Sit passively and wait to be rescued. Boys, you play an active <laughs> role in your life and future. Yeah. My wife was saying, oh, MacDonald had a farmer. <laughs> she, she. We've got. She had a husband. She was a farmer. <laughs> we've got a children's book that has a princess and the family decide that she must get married. 
and all these suitors are brought to the castle and she has conditions that they must meet. And so she dismisses them one by one. And then the final suitor turns up and he fulfills all of the conditions. And I'm reading this thinking, oh, great, she's got her happily ever after. And she turns him into a frog, rides off on a motorbike and lives with cats. She chooses not to marry the person who is ticks all the boxes and is right. I find that so challenging to read. I'm like, but no, she's doing you're like, oh my goodness, this this message in me that I must find the right person and that b- being married is the happily ever after, not the leaving on the motorbike and having cats. It's like, so interesting to meet your own prejudices. A great film for that is Shrek. Not- Shrek is just, how have you not seen Shrek? I've been reading recently, okay. still. <laughs> it's, it's 20-something years old. No, I mean, you could have any film... If you say, have I seen, it's not, no. So Shrek is basically, it's the green ogre, it's brilliant, but it is a whole thing of that sort of fairy tale, but completely mucked up. Instead of the prince rescuing her, an ogre rescues her. Mm. Actually, Lord Farquaad is a rather short. She doesn't rescue, though, does she? She doesn't rescue herself. Well, yeah, but no, she's just waiting up there. Yeah, and, but what, in the second one, she'd right, been yeah. practicing her Prince Charming signatures <laughs> and all this lot. And it really just don't. But actually, she it's a very good, if you've not watched it, you should watch it with your kids. It's a great film. But again, that really mucked up that traditional damsel in distress storyline that she needed. And, and it's, you sit there and as a, as a boy growing up and as a man still growing up, I had no idea how sexist the world was till I had two daughters. Yeah. I remember being surprised by how many of my friends were surprised by the Me Too movement. You're like, as a woman, you just know this stuff. You're like, yeah, of course. Yeah, of course that's happened to me. I'm a girl. Why would it not? And then then you realise in their surprise how different their life is. You're like, oh, yeah. So I'm going to make my daughters will never be damsels in distress. They can have their hair and their makeup done and all of that, but they're going to get on with it themselves. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, we've segued quite a bit from yeah, what, where what we were supposed were we to be. talking about again? <laughs> <laughs> so I think this, the summary is overall... It's a much more complicated thing than just right or wrong, good or bad. But the fact the documentary happened made us all have the conversation. Hopefully it was progressive. And we all suffer from those prejudices. It's not just the people who they are perpetuated against. We all suffer from an idea that you are measured, your worth is measured according to your intellect. There are multiple ways of measuring the value of a person, of a life, and just having one and counting it isn't going to be handy. And I'm going to... Refer to Ted Lasso, which you haven't watched either. No. <laughs> uh, so that's fine. But in there, in one of the episodes, he's playing darts. And he's, what he says is, we stop being curious and we simply judge. Mm. You've already decided by looking at me what I am capable of. Yeah, maybe curiosity is another takeaway from it, that being curious is. And this bloke is playing, he's just playing darts, and that's the thing. But it, but actually, if you watch the whole of this headline, so it's, it's this thing. Most of us just judge. We look at a situation and we judge it. We actually 
curious. And that's the, that's the thing. That curiosity is a big thing. But that's the thing. We do judge. We, it's easy to judge. It's quicker to judge. But we should be curious. Yeah, curiosity is a great thing. Uncertainty is a terrifying thing. Yes. Excellent. Right. I'm going to wrap it up today. If you haven't watched the documentary, it is on all four. You can go watch it. You'll find loads of people discussing positive and negative. Most of it is negative, but what's interesting is most of the posts stop. I, I couldn't find much on Twitter, but most of the stuff stopped around the date of airing, and most of the controversy was around the title. And there's various bits discussing about the actual, the quality, but I'm not going to go into that. We've discussed it enough. So go watch it, make your own mind up, and it's. I found it just what was said was shocking and horrible. And that is just one person dealing with it. And there are just thousands of people dealing with abuse online, face-to-face, in the workplace, wherever. None of it should happen. It shouldn't. This is a simple thing. But how do we stop it? Longer thing. So thank you for coming on the show today. Thanks for having me, Dale. As always, I'll be sharing all the ways you can contact Jo, find out about her books, her hula hoops, her reindeer, (laughs) and various other things she shares on social media. It's great. You never know what you're going to get from Joe, including surfing with her child, which you did recently, I didn't did, you? Yeah. Yes, and I love it. It's one of the things. It's certain people you expect the same things. You just don't know what you're going to get with Joe, which is <laughs> to me, I love it. So you'll find all that stuff to get hold of Joe wherever you listen to the podcast and on our website. Please follow us on social media on X. We are that the Sendcast. I still can't do that on Facebook, the Sendcast, on Instagram, the Sendcast. And as always, if you listen to us, iTunes or Apple Podcasts, please leave a review and let others know what you think. And if you are looking for a simple, secure way to capture and share evidence of learning or a way to capture people's voice, a way to celebrate and share those big achievements, however small, or a more engaging homeschool diary, you need to have a look at Eversense. Eversense is our evidence system that does so much more, yet is really cost-effective. To find out more about Eversense, visit the B-Squared website. You can also find about our online training, our CPD, read our blog, watch our webinars, and you'll find a link to the website and a link to book a meeting with me so I can take you through Eversense or answer any questions you have in the show notes. So thank you for listening. We'll be back soon with another episode of The Same Cast. Joe moaned at me for saying goodbye last time she was here. I just can't do it. I just cannot just say that and go. I just can't so remember goodbye. what the show is that you're quoting from. Goodbye. It's like uh, the old... Goodbye from you. Goodbye from you. (laughs) (laughs) Goodbye, everyone.